Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. In this week's show, delighted to be joined by Martin Makalides the head of treasury at Nexus Holdings. And Nexus is a leading Dutch energy grid operator. But as I say every week on the show, uh, they've been going for over 100 years. Uh, Martin can explain that a little bit more uh, later on in the show. As always, we're going to get straight into it. We're going to take Martin back to the dim distant past and how he first ever discovered the wonderful world of, well, you started in finance, but then you discovered a wonderful world of treasury, sir. So uh, as always, it's your show. Over to you. So your first question is, how, how did I get started into finance and treasury? Yes. Well, I, I started not really in treasury. I started at KPMG as an audit firm. Actually, I wanted to start at a bank, but it was quite difficult at that time. So I started at the financial services group of, uh, of KPMG, doing the audit and uh, advisory, mainly for banks and uh, funds. I, I learned a lot there, but concluded that audit will not, never be become my, uh, sorry, that audit will never be my passion. Yeah. So after two what, years, what was that? Was it just that it was a good grounding to learn a lot about companies, but you want to do something different? And what was the situation? Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, audit is really a specific trade. You need to be skilled and talented. I did. It wasn't really my thing, but it did allow me to to visit many different banks and other other companies, gain a very interesting insight as as let's say from the perspective of an auditor. Hmm. But in my view, it was yeah. Again, it was not really my my skill and what I missed was sort of the commercial action, right. being more in front of, of things. Then I moved to a bank, the general bank, that's the predecessor of Fortis Bank, quickly moved there to, uh, to corporate banking. Again, I learned a lot there at, at a bank. You have the, the benefit of working with a lot of specialists that sort of work in the same field as you do. Yeah, that if you later on in life work at a corporate, then you that you can compare and then you sort of acknowledge the, the luxury at, at, at the bank. Very interesting also yeah, good to get a good understanding of how actually a bank works. But over time, I thought, well, again, I need to be even more closer to where things happen. Hmm. And that brought me to, to ASML, Treasury of ASML. And they're closer to the origination of transactions, do more fundamental analysis about these transactions. And so then you, Martin, you made the move from corporate banking into treasury, the wonderful world of treasury, as we know it, and joined ASML. Now, they're obviously a Dutch company, which some of the listeners, a lot of the listeners won't know. And, and what encouraged you to make that move into treasury? How did you discover it? Or, you know, what was the company? So maybe company and then the role sort of thing. Just maybe explain that for people. Yeah, ASML is a huge semiconductor equipment manufacturer. Area of lithography, yeah, it's sort of the, one of the most key elements, components for for making semiconductors. This is a spin-off of Philips um, years ago. Sort of over time, they gained a number one, sort of almost almost monopoly in this in this area. That is right. a very very impressive story. Very capital intensive as well, and requiring a lot of research and development. And uh, of course, it boomed during the uh, the internet peak <laughs> yeah. bubble, so to speak. Yeah. That's also when I arrived. Very exciting times. Yeah, I mean, the company first had to invest a lot and only getting revenues years later, sort of eight or 10 years later. 
mm. as, as, the, as the business was still growing. So from a treasury perspective, yeah, that is very interesting. Uh, they issued convertibles that carried uh, implied credit spreads of up to 15.15% back then. Yeah. Today, it's a very strong investment grade uh, company. But back, back then, situation was very different. Uh, we were just in a treasury of five, including the one responsible for insurance. So, yeah, as a first position there, yeah, it was very exciting. We got to do a lot. I got to uh, focus on, let's say, leasing of, of the real estate, the FAPs, very specific. Also, the, the US GAAP element, because the company was listed on NASDAQ, yeah, introduced some additional complexity. Mm. Focus on the interest rate risk management, on uh, how much how the cash buffers that the company needs to, uh, need to retain. I also did a buyback of convertible bond. So, yeah, sort of the first steps in, in Treasury. That was a very, uh, very interesting place. The Treasury departments back then were pretty small, as I said, which was, was, I think, approximately five. So, making a career there yeah, after four years is a bit difficult, in particular if you want to stay in Treasury. So, then a move to a different yeah, Treasury, different company makes uh, made a lot of sense. And I've heard that quite a lot. A lot of the time, people sort of say, do people move a lot? You know, I've got Craig who recently joined the team. And when I explained to him that, yeah, people will be in a, a treasury team. And as we say, it might be sort of four people and that the you can't really make the move. You can't develop your career, which is sometimes quite frustrating because, you know, it, treasury in itself is usually quite small, a treasury team. But at the end of the day, it, you know, it's a key role. But you know, you you had to move on, really, didn't you? It was it wasn't wasn't through choice, if that's the right way to put it. Well, I had to move on to make career. Yeah, it was my my choice actually to do that. Of course, my choice also to stay within uh, Treasury before actually moving on different to a different uh, Treasury department. I took a sabbatical for a year, a few years before I met my wife while traveling around the world. Ideal uh, way to actually get to know each other and. Well, then uh, to, to go to a stable marriage thereafter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we returned, I was lucky finding uh, a treasury position at, at Heineken. I said that ASML was more involved in the corporate finance and the risk side at Heineken. It gave me an opportunity to also yeah, get, get more experience in the operations side. Supported introduction of a new TMS, uh, SAP. Did a lot of work on FX hedge accounting and some other more projects. Heineken back then was also small, so sort of five or six. Today it's it's a lot a lot bigger. Yeah, uh, the company also grew, of course, so that, that that makes sense. You're sort of still relatively early in your career, but you're now with. I mean, as you say, Heineken then was was quite different to what it is now because it's massive and, and things like that. But you came in. I know that at the time you focused on that. You know, getting some systems experience that was something that you were good at and things like that. Or you know, what was that 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 role like? Because I know that that provided, you know, you went from that to sort of a much more senior role. What what did that give you, would you say? Well, when it came there, they had some some they were struggling with the FX hedge accounting and all the tools that that, that they had to support it. So I came there in a yeah, well, it's, it was sort of a crisis concerning that that topic. I managed to turn it around with some Excel skills. That is always very convenient as a treasurer, treasurer to be proficient in, the, in Excel. Yeah, from there on, I just grew my position there. Also, yeah, based on my experience with ASML and with the bank, did some work on structured finance and, and some other uh, projects. But yeah, then again, when I was there, the strategy was not one of the growth that, we, the, that we've seen in the last, the last years. It was more stable. So staying there didn't really make sense for me. So then, yeah, I looked, I looked further for a new position. Yeah. And Corio came in my path. 
there could become a group treasurer. So yeah, that was very it, it, different industry, but also very capital intensive. Corio doesn't exist anymore. It was a REIT, Real, Real Estate Investment Trust. So an investor and manager of shopping malls across Europe. As a treasurer, real estate is really interesting. I mean, you quickly get involved both in the business side and the financing side. So this has many features. When I started there, it was just the treasurer was just me. When I left uh, eight years later, it was uh, I was also responsible for tax, for the corporate forecasting, and I mean, total managing group of what is it, sort of six or seven people, uh, staff. Yeah, but what I did there is also introduced uh, TMS, but also credit ratings, we issued bonds, with quite a few structured finance transactions. The one, the one I remember most was in 2010, it was a very structured uh, CMBS from Italy. I mean, mind you, that's sort of after the financial crisis and then doing CMBS. <laughs> we actually uh, took a lot of effort, <laughs> and I still re- remember that very well, but it was, uh, it was a success. And what was it like moving industries? Because you've gone from semiconductors to a brewing company, and then you arrived in real estate. What, what was what was it like for you? Because again, you were then growing your team, which I want to dig into in a moment. But you know, you got there. You know, what what do you find the challenge of you know all these different industries, if you like? Yeah, what is essential to be successful as a treasurer is to get a thorough understanding of all the risks also the, the business risks and then the financial aspects of, of, of those risks. Only if you understand it really well, then you're really seen as, as the one able and, 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 and to manage all the risks for the company. So that, that is sort of vital. I think that should be one of the, the key skills of, of, of Treasure. I think I, I have those skills. So it allowed, allowed me to quickly understand all the Treasure aspects of ASML, of Heineken and Corio, at least sufficiently to be effective as a Treasurer. Differences are, yeah, I said uh, ASML was was not really a startup, but but really growing, but but a, but a, but, a, but a aggressively growing company, in a very international environment, very cyclical. The risk dynamic was completely different than uh, compared to Heineken, which was much more stable for there. Therefore, also the focus at Heineken for me was more an operation than, than understanding all the risks, financial uh, aspects. But back to Corio again, real estate, yeah, it's just collecting rents. Value of the malls are mainly driven by by yields, interest rates. So that's really yeah, accessible for a treasury. It's easy to have contribute to, to those process and to get involved in M&A and all kinds of structures. As a treasurer, I, I really liked that whole company. I think yeah. also in a real estate company, it makes yeah, more sense to, for, for a treasurer to potentially, or it would be easier to become a CFO, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole accounting and finance side is much more straightforward than the Heineken process company or ASML with, with all the R&D and everything. But sets the real estate for, for treasure is really nice. And you, whilst you were there at Corio, I know that you, one of the key things, and we spoke about this before the show, and things that you, you grew the team, you know, so you took greater responsibility. What was that like for you? Sort of, you come in as sort of a sole contributor as such, but I know that you built the team and then at a later stage you took on tax as well. We'll, we'll talk about that as a separate challenge, but you know, what, what was it like? What did you look for when you were looking for people? Again, there'll be people listening today that are going, well, I've got to recruit a treasury manager to work for me, or I've got to recruit a treasury analyst. How, how did you do it? What was your key to success, if you like, in, in that in that sense? Well, I didn't really have a lot of experience building a team. And fortunately, yeah. I could do it uh, gradually. Of course, you make mistakes. And you also I sort of need to accept that you cannot sort of control and influence everything. When I have a job interview or 
when I'm the interview and when I have a conversation with an applicant. What I appreciate most is if the person already sort of imagines that he or she is already in the role, sort of bridging the, the distance between, again, the applicant and the interviewer. Yeah. And sort of evidencing that you already spent some time thinking how it could be like performing that role. That's not something that you come across uh, often, and particularly in, in with certain media and junior positions. So that's that's a very important uh, criterion for me to look at. And then you took you expanded your role, which is quite unusual in a way, because a lot of people are treasury, treasury, treasury. And I talked to a treasurer the other day about treasury and tax and combining the two things. And the interesting thing was he said, and I won't say who he is, because he and he said this with respect. He said the problem with treasury guys, and I know you and I spoke about this a little bit that. The treasury guys simplify stuff too much and tax guys overcomplicate stuff. And he said, that, you know, that's a broad phrase and he wasn't being critical of either. What he was saying is that treasury sometimes, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to move it across there. And the tax guy, hang on, what about the implications of withholding tax there? And you've got to be thinking about this. And he said the flip side is sometimes when you talk to the tax guys, because they're very technically strong, sometimes they go, oh, we'll, we'll do this scheme, we'll do this. And he said, look, well, okay, that, that will save us how much? He said, well, it will save us 100000 He said, okay, great. How much will it cost us to implement? Well, it's going to cost us 150000 He said, okay, so we'll stop there, shall we? And they were like, ah, oh, right, yeah. So we're sort of trying to have that end goal in mind. But, you know, with you, when you were then appointed tax as well and you oversaw that, what was that like for you, you know, in your treasury brain as such? I did have the benefit that treasury and tax were already closely cooperating and, and there were already two experienced tax managers. So they were responsible for the compliance. They know that much better than, than, than I do. So there was already a useful, strong, strong basis. I noticed that, that yeah, I could inspire the two tax managers to think sort of further, sort of think beyond the rules and, 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 and the structures and the regimes that they, they're focusing on. And in a read that is uh, very relevant and interesting because uh, yeah, we typically is tax exempt. And we were present in sort of seven countries and in a few we were tax exempt and in a few others we were not. So we could do a lot of analysis together whether it would make sense from both the tax and the treasury angle to also get its status in other countries. Mm. Yeah, I think that the cooperation went went really well. You have to leave sort of the specialist stuff, the compliance things, really to the tax managers and sort of find sort of common ground uh, stuff where you can really build together. And we were able to find that in a read again because, yeah, it's highly tax-driven. You've moved through these sometimes treasury, you know, I talk to treasurers and they might be 20 years in one company, not often, but, you know, sometimes. But you then made a move from real estate to telco and yeah. telecoms you know what was that like and you know how did you achieve that in your head <laughs> you know what i mean by that is you know you've made these moves we've you know you've got everything from as i said brewing then real estate and then into telecoms before or recently into energy so talk us through that if you went into that move if you would telco was was a big change here for me i mean i suddenly became part of a treasury department of uh, sort of 130 i think across the, across the globe and uh, perhaps 10 or 12 on hq completely different company completely different dynamic also for me that took some time to get used to to that and it also when i moved i sort of realized how how sort of accustomed and used i got to my previous role and although i became treasurer head of tax and, and, and a lot of things changed you sort of yeah, you get sort of used to your environment and vice versa. There's sort of stability that is sort of growing. 
So then when I, after eight years, came to Veal, a, a really quite dynamic company, yeah, that, that was, was a quite radical change. And for me, that, that, that took some time to get used to it. So for myself, soon after I started, I thought, well, was it actually the, the, the right step? Yeah, it really took some time for me to, to realize that, that I should just stay there and, and just see how it goes and, and gradually sort of build my role and, and, and grow. Mm. I, I managed, but uh, at the start from, for myself, it was not really so obvious. <laughs> Talk me through the role at Beyond. You know, you were Director of Treasury and Corporate Finance. You know, who are Beyond, again, for the companies out there? Yeah, Beyond is a telco operating in, let's say, not, not Western countries, eh? countries like uh, Pakistan, Kazakhstan, Russia, Ukraine, right. and, and, and others. Over 200 million active subscribers, so pretty big in, in terms of subscribers, but in value. Of course, less. I mean, when, when I started, I mainly focused again on, uh, on forecasting and, and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There were many initiatives across Vion, across Vion uh, M&A, doing spectrum transactions, selling, the, the, how do you call those things, the masts. And it was difficult at HQ level to sort of compare them. So I actively took a leading role from the professional department to build a model that helped us to compare all these different transactions, at least from a treasury perspective. That was sort of the basis. And from there on, I also took other roles. Eventually, I drafted the FX strategy. And there was a huge exposure to, uh, to rubles. Uh, earlier on, I got actively involved in the uh, first the joint venture with uh, Acheson in Italy. And that was sort of the only Western country where we were present. But later, we sold our stake to Hutchinson. Yeah. Uh, where I also got involved in winding a huge swap portfolio. Very dynamic, very international, very varied. Yeah, but at some point, it was also sort of enough for me. Film was a bit in a difficult spot. It had some compliance issues. Also, the market was a bit against them. So they decided to uh, to cut down at least uh, HQ. Yeah, as part of that, I decided to to move to a different role. And that is then Annexis, which is more similar to Corio, smaller size, different uh, challenges. Explain what a nexus do internationals. I'll be like, oh, I don't know them at all. So, can you explain for the listeners? I didn't know them either before I started working there. They're, they're, <laughs> the, they're the grid operator in one third of the Netherlands. So, in those provinces where I do not live, the regional grid operator. So, they're operating the uh, gas electricity grids. It has, uh, we have approximately 4,700 employees, balance sheet total of 8 billion, 3 billion of debt, mainly bonds. And we're owned by governments, meaning five provinces and 88 municipalities. Well, the company used to be a stable grid operator, but now it finds itself in the middle of, of the energy transition. It has to do a lot of adjustments and expansions to the grid to enable this energy transition to reach the climate goals. What was the transition like? I know we spoke in our pre-podcast call about this, but the transition from a PLC, private, you know, public company rather, to a privately owned group, you know, and sort of more government owned. What's that been like for you as a treasurer, would you say? Yeah, of course, it's a completely different environment. You have to take that into account. In any case, it is, it is always sensible not to do too quickly give your opinion about things, just first to digest things and make sure that you understand well what you need to understand. Didn't really have too much time for that at Nexus because it's also there hit, hitting the ground running. But yeah, they, I mean, there, there clearly is a kind of cultural change if you're either managed by uh, sort of 
company that is mainly owned by Russian parties, also listed, has a US angle and everything, or you are owned by provinces, a grid operator, used to be stable. That That is different. You need to consider that. At Fion, I think they were sort of dealing with all the change that was, 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 was happening around them also in the past. And with the next is it's more, well, how will we actually deal with all the changes that are coming in our direction. So it is a, it's a more positive dynamic. As you say, you then talk about allude to the Green Bond framework and things that's like that. But what's that been like? Is that a big driver for you guys? Yeah, for, for us, that, that is uh, that's very important. Through our grids, we, of course, transport green energy. Also, by expanding our grids, we connect new solar parks and wind parks to, 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 to the grids. So we are really key in, we have a key role in this energy transition. And yeah, issuing green bonds, having a very solid ESG rating is all cons- is, is very consistent with uh, with that. Green bonds, renewables, all this stuff. It's you know, it's the watchword. Everyone's you know putting it out there saying, oh yeah, this is what we got to do. We're going to be like this and blah blah blah. Do you find that it, it's sometimes maybe frustrating that you know it's other people? You're obviously very much committed to it because that's you know the forefront of what you guys do as a company. Do you sometimes think that people are just paying lip service? Would you say outside, or do you like the fact that everyone's trying to get in on the act? I think. Yeah, I think that's probably partly true. If you want to sort of realize change at the start, perhaps you need to exaggerate a bit. And I think the trend is okay. It's good to support that. And it's also there's also no turning back. So like arguing with the auditor, eventually doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's better to just to find ways how to, to go along with this change and how to adapt. You're the head of treasury. You've got a team of treasury professionals working with you and things like that how how what do you like as a boss you know what when you're setting out coaching managing these guys what do you like when you're you've grown teams now you've become better and better as a, a manager what do you like now as you sort of how do you do it when i started it was was a team that was there sort of on average already well 10 years and longer i was the youngest in the team my age is roughly 50 so that, that tells you something also annexus was always very stable not a lot of changes it was also to remain stable so, yeah, my challenge was to create a new dynamic in the team, in part in areas where I wasn't really experienced. Uh, I was responsible for buying and uh, for purchasing the, the grid losses. But also there, we, we needed a new energy. What I like is if people are sort of self-driven, if they set their own goals, but you can only do that if, if they sort of understand what, what the overall company goals uh, are. So I spent a lot of time yeah, discussing that with the, with the different team members, make sure that we are all aligned that still takes uh, time and effort of course mm. but yeah to create more dynamic i also hired two younger staff roughly age 30 35 and the other i hired last year actually initially as an intern and now he's permanently with us i create more dynamic within the team it's only six but we have also six or seven topics i mean those those were given to specific members of the staff by creating more dynamic there, creating teams. So I think that that worked really, really well. But it's it's a long process, not something that you sort of change within just one or two years. And when you're, you know, looking at the, the future of the group and things like that, as you say, you know, recruiting this team with an eye to the future, where do you see it developing for you guys? And what's the future for future treasury challenges if you like you and i we used to be able to go to things like conferences one one day we'll be in a real real world conference again when they let us out of our houses you know but what do you see as the big challenges coming up for treasury now you know you're obviously focusing on the green bonds which is fantastic but you know where are you then moving to in the future currently spending a lot of time making sort of working agreements with with other 
other departments. And during COVID, eh, I realized that, that, that we need those. And when you're in the same office, eh, you find each other on an on informal basis. But if you have to find each other on the phone or calls, that, that's less obvious. So let's create a more formal corporation structure. I also asked my staff to do that, to reach out to other departments, to write down, well, again, working agreements. I think that gets increasingly important also as yeah, there's, things only get more complex, and particularly at the HQ level. I think there, yeah, Treasury can play a role, but then we need to sort of structure again our how we work together with uh, with other departments. That, that is my focus for for let's say for the coming years. I think that's a tra- trend that will stay there. So I think that the Treasury will be more will move more from a sort of company that first department that was responsible for the financing to more a to a department managing projects and uh, again the cooperation between the departments. And how have you encouraged that? I was recently featured on a panel and one of the guys was saying, oh, no, you know, Treasury shrinking. And I think it's total the opposite. I think that Treasury in itself is actually expanding. But I think the difference is that the role of a treasurer and role of the Treasury team is changing. That is much more, you know, being there at the hub of things and trying to help the tax guys, help the finance, help FB&A if they're doing a project. Say, look, we're here to consult and help you and things like that and support those guys. So you're very much more, and you and I have talked about this as well, Martin, that you know, you're really there to help the business, uh, whereas in the past it was slightly more ivory towered. You know, like, yeah, give us your cash and we'll look after it and do stuff. How do you encourage that with your team, would you say? Clearly make them responsible for, for certain areas, for example, for procurement or for leasing or for the contacts with, you know, with the planning department. So creating more dynamic there. But as I said earlier, also explain to them how that is all linked to the overall objectives of the company, of the treasury policies, sort of painting the, the, the broader picture for, for everybody. If you do that, if you make people understand, well, what it is you're after and how they con- can contribute to a sort of joint success that supports the company, yeah, that really works. That, that really unleashes uh, energy. That, that's, that's sort of how I approach it. As the world sort of comes out of the COVID and the pandemic and everything else, where do you see the continued development? You know, we're going to come towards the end of today's show shortly. But, you know, before we do that, where do you see, you know, Treasury adding value? What are you now, as everybody gets back on their feet, if you like, what, what do you see as next? What I just mentioned is, is these kind of formal formalizing the cooperation with other departments. I think the finance department is very, at least in the companies I've been with, is increasingly busy with automation, ERP systems, and, and, and what have you, and managing all the complexity of companies becoming more international. I think that leaves many other topics sort of unaddressed. And I think uh, Treasury yeah, has a key role to play there. And the, the topics differ per, per company, uh, of course. For us, yeah, it is the ESG rating, the leasing, the risk at procurement, and so on. So I think that's, that's a sort of priority when, uh, when we get, uh, get back making our footprint in the company bigger. Yeah, you're getting out there and really connecting with it. I know that's a key theme. So what we will do, as we said before, we will put your LinkedIn details in the show notes. But as we wrap up today's episode, I know that we we talked about maybe some of the tips you've got for the people listening today. What would you say, you know, if someone's listening today and maybe they're early in their career or, you know, reflecting over your career, what, what sort of advice would you give to the guys listening today? 
What helped me a lot is to, to, to change jobs, just get a new position, expose yourself to, to, to new things yeah, and learn from them. Yeah, my tip would be to do that both professionally and private. So yeah, also then travel or, I don't know, find out new stuff, read books, get inspired be, and be creative. That, that is my, uh, my tip. Amazing. There you go, guys. Uh, be creative and some great tips from Martin there. So we'll put your details in the show notes, your LinkedIn details. So feel free to connect if, you know, it'd be great to have a stronger network and things like that. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, it was a good, n- nice and easy one today. Just a nice walk through your career. And yeah, I think people will get some good, good advice from that as well. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Hello, it's Mike here again. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you did, then maybe you want to follow the show or subscribe, depending on where you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, or another great place to listen to the show from. It's totally free and means that you'll be the first to see each and every week when we release a new show. And maybe whilst you're there, you could even leave a quick review. Reviews and ratings are among the most important metrics for a podcast to effectively rank. And as you can probably appreciate, the podcast is a lot of hard work to produce every week. It'd be amazing. Just take, say, 20 seconds, leave a quick review of my amazing guests and their great career stories. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks very much, and I can't wait to see you soon.